Well, I have to admit, I was very blessed in my early days of being a computer technician. Before I went on to seminary, I spent nine years working as a computer consultant coming out of college or out of my undergrad. And I was blessed because my best friend was my teacher, not just because I got to learn from him. And he was incredibly talented as a technician. Uh, he learned all his stuff very early on, but he was also a crazy talented teacher. In particular, he had this way of being able to explain computers and technical jargon to non-techies. Uh, he could do it in a way that he could get my mom to be able to follow the conversation as we were learning how to build a first computer and all that sort of stuff. And my mom can kind of hold her own, but for him to be able to get her to be able to follow was pure genius. It was beautiful to get to see if I can dare to use that word. And as I learned for myself, I learned how to talk to others, how to be able to communicate what I was doing in a way that didn't demean somebody who maybe didn't have the same level of training that I did. Do you ever have a conversation that's kind of on the other end of that spectrum where it's like nothing you say seems to get through or nothing that they say to you makes any sense? I mean, because face it, everything that we say makes perfect sense, right? Because that's just the way of the world. Frustrating might only begin to start to capture what that can feel like and what that experience can be like. And faith can be similar, really from either side of, of the discussion. Believers can get frustrated because you know they're, they're wondering why everyone else is trying to shoot down their faith that they hold so dear. And non-believers can bang their heads against the wall thinking, why don't people accept my arguments about you know, why religion doesn't work or something like that? Um, it's, kind of, it's a universal truth that everything makes sense to the person who's speaking the words, right? What we say makes perfect sense. Everybody else thinks what they say makes perfect sense. And I mean that as an observation, not a commentary. Um, but there's a, you know, any topic out there can be an example uh, that can instigate that frustration, that can instigate that combativeness, that misunderstanding. Even if it's something as simple as, which one do you think is better, the sunrise or the sunset? You could ask that and probably, if you wanted, start an argument over that. So any conversation that we have can devolve into this us versus them kind of thing where it's combative. Hence the engine to the series that we're starting up this week. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, we'll look at how people interact and particularly how people in the church interact with those outside as we've just finished up a series on you know, kind of the birth of the church. And now, now that the church is talking with those who maybe don't believe the same way, how do they communicate with each other? How do they interact together in a way that shows grace and shows the love that we've been given? How do we be salt and light to those that are around us? And since we're talking about human-to-human -human interaction, guess what? There's something for all of us in this idea. Whether we see Jesus, the Jesus that I'm talking about as Lord and Savior, or just another ancient guy from 2,000 years ago. There's something that we can hang on to that allow us to have better, more fruitful conversations, more loving conversations with those that we care about. So check out the opening, uh, the opening verses to John's Gospel, uh, which is where I'm going to start here. Now, each of the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have their own version of kind of the birth story of Jesus. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke 
speak very much from the physical birth story, what, you know, the shepherds and the angels and uh, star and all that kind of thing, and what happened sort of after the birth or, or leading up to the birth. John takes a different angle. He looks at it as um, where was Jesus or where was the word before taking on human skin, before taking on flesh, before being born. And he, that kind of gives the thrust to his whole gospel message. Um, so it's a unique angle to take as far as a birth narrative, but it still speaks a lot and, and says a lot about who Jesus is that can guide where our conversations go. I promise I'll make that connection as we're going along here. But check out these first couple verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. Now I fully understand, for those that have read this passage before or have studied this passage before, there is an awful lot being said here. And what I'm going to try and cover is not going to even scratch the surface of the depth that these couple of verses have. As many of John's verses are like that. But John is basically saying, boiled down to simplest terms, John is saying that Jesus is God and that he was there at creation. That's sort of the topic sentence or the thesis sentence for all of John's writing, or at least his gospel writing. He's making the case that Jesus is God. Now, if this is true, and I'm not going to try and spend the next hour defending that, uh, I I'm simply going to state it as this is something that I believe is true because I believe that there is um, evidence within scripture and within history that verify that statement. But if it is true, then it means that Jesus has some authority over a believer's life. Now, true, Jesus really has, if it's true, Jesus has authority over everything. But I'm specifically calling out the believer here because as we... <laughs> as we have conversations with people who maybe disagree with what I just said, who look at it and go, well, Jesus doesn't have authority over anything. As we have conversations with those who might hold to that stance, there is a place where this, this idea can help us and where we can engage without losing our cool or without losing our minds. How does this work? Well, last week, we were looking at the story of a, a conversation between one Christian and one seeker, or one uh, person asking questions, um, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip, who is a Christian, he gets asked this hard question about the book of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, and very difficult kinds of questions to answer, even in the, con that's a very difficult book, even having the New Testament now at our disposal today. But what Philip does is he takes the conversation and he takes the question that he's asked and he points the eunuch to Jesus. And Paul, who was probably one of the most prolific writers in all of scripture, and he was one that could debate the hard questions. He had all the, the education in the world. He, when he would be asked tough questions, would take the conversation to Jesus. Now, maybe that sounds like the children's message answer that kind of goes around youth, youth ministry circles where, okay, whatever the pastor asks, the answer is Jesus. Okay, just remember that and you're good. And maybe there is some truth to that or to that idea. 
But this idea does hold some water, as we'll see in a little bit. Because we often use another phrase when it comes to Jesus. Not, not just to say that he has authority over everything, but particularly that Jesus is the head of the church. As Paul, that prolific writer that I mentioned, writes in Colossians 1.18. It says, he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Now, again, that is one of those very deep, um, pregnant verses. But Paul often uses the image of the body as an image for the church. And Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the one who has authority. So how does this help us out? How does this come down to be practical when we're having conversations on Monday instead of on Sunday morning here? Well, I'm not a sailor by any stretch. I am a city slicker down to my DNA. But I understand this much about seafaring navigation, that it all starts with the North Star, with Polaris, okay? Because of the way the Earth spins and, and the North Star always stays in the same kind of position relative to where we are. So if we can find that, if we can find the North Star, everything else falls into position from there. If we know that one thing, everything else starts to make sense and, and finds its place and becomes relative to that one uh, fixed point out in the sky. Well, John continues in verses 4 and 5. In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So John is saying that Jesus is the source of all life, and if we, as believers, are trying to point people to life, which hopefully if we are engaging in a conversation with somebody who may, maybe disagrees, hopefully that's what we're trying to do, is we're trying to point them to the source of life, the source of our hope, the source of our love and forgiveness. If we want to point people to the source of life, we point them to Jesus, just like Philip did in his conversation with the Ethiopian eunuch, just like Paul did in probably numerous conversations that he had across his ministry. So look what happens when we do that. If we, let's say we have two people and they are having a conversation and maybe it gets combative in some way. And you have these two people and they're looking at each other, right? Pay attention to this part. Which direction are they looking? This person is looking this way and this person is looking this way. They're looking in opposite directions. You know, what's the stereotypical image of conflict? Two people who are toe-to-toe -to -toe and they're looking at each other, looking in opposite directions. Now, what happens when we do what, uh, what Philip does and what Paul does and we point people to the source of all life? What happens when, to use my seafaring analogy, what happens when we get when we come alongside somebody and point them to the North Star, we're both looking in the same direction. We come side by side and we're both looking out in the same direction. What happens when we as believers, and that's why I called out believers in Jesus' authority statement, what happens when we as believers point people to Jesus? We're looking in the same direction. No matter what kind of differences we may have between each other, and the cool thing is, this works universally. We could be talking to an atheist, to an agnostic, to a Buddhist, to a Muslim. And when we 
come alongside them and point them to Jesus, we end up looking in the same direction. And this can guide just about every difficult conversation that we have. Whether it's about faith or whether it's about something else, if we can get ourselves looking in the same direction with somebody that maybe we don't, dis- we don't agree with totally, it allows us to see those things that we have in common with each other. Even rather than see the things that make us different, right? Even if it is as base level as Barbara Bond Taylor says where, he sa- where she says, just to recognize we both have skin on. That when we get hungry, our stomachs growl. That when we cut ourselves, we feel pain. Even if it is at that base level that we have something in common, we do have something in common. And we can start from there. And when we accept both of these ideas, that Jesus has authority and that Jesus is the source of life, then when we are pointing somebody to to Jesus and we're looking in the same direction, it allows us to speak into that hard conversation with grace and with love. The grace and the love, ironically enough, that we have been shown by that source of all life. David Mathis, in his book, um, very shoot from the hiply titled as it is, Conflict is an Opportunity for Grace, he says we don't have to be a bull in a china shop. We don't have to be one as believers that we are going into conversations about faith try, like we're trying to win an argument or like we're just going to bash somebody over the head with the Bible and, and hope that somehow Jesus is going to transform them through that. But he says, rather, our gospel-thickened skin frees us to lean in with kindness, with patience, with gentleness to the cauldrons of conflict that would otherwise send us running. You know, when we think about it, it's in those tough conversations It's in those dark times that we see the light of grace shine the brightest, he says. As John says in verse um, 1-5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. So here's my my challenge for you this week. I want you to find one person, maybe whom with you don't always agree, okay? And I want you to have a conversation with them that starts out with this idea. What do you think about Insert topic here. Now, you can take the topic as deep or as shallow as you may like. That's your call. But try pushing the bounds of your comfort just a little bit. And however they respond, whether it's something you agree with or not, practice finding the place where you're looking in the same direction. Even when we disagree, we can still be civilized. And this becomes an opportunity to practice that and to see that, wow, this might, we can have a conversation with somebody we disagree with and not lose our minds, not lose our cool. And maybe, you know, it turns out like it did with Philip, that as we looked at last week, where he's having a conversation one-on-one with somebody, and the evangelist of a nation is born out of that conversation. As tradition says that the Ethiopian eunuch went on to be the first evangelist of Ethiopia. Maybe it results in just a round of practicing the art of grace towards another person who, if nothing else, we share the fact that we both have skin. You know what the neat thing is? Jesus can take even that and use it to transform us from the inside out. Jesus can take even that one little round of practicing grace and use it to transform us from the inside out. Let's pray together. 
Jesus, thank you for transforming us. Thank you for being the source of life for us. Help us through the power of your spirit to be able to share that grace and share that love and share that that willingness to to meet and engage with people who maybe we don't just we don't agree with just like you did to do that and do it well may you be pleased with the results of of your work through us may we be faithful and and hang on to you in those times when we need it amen <laughs>